I was kind of hoping that there wouldn't be very many people here. <laughs> Counting on it, maybe. Um, um, the gentlemen are passing something out right now, so I'll just wait for a second. Is there anyone in here who would be nervous if you were sharing something on a Sunday morning? Yeah? Uh, so please pray for me, because I am very nervous. And... Uh, I can't go up there. I have to stand here. That'll mitigate some of it, at least. Uh, what I'm uh, sharing is a work in progress. Just bits and pieces. And uh, something that uh, you are aware of. And uh, it's just me trying to put some things together. Um, one of the things that I have been going before the Lord about is uh, a woman's place. Um, just uh, her role in the church, in the home, uh, in the spousal relationship, her sexuality. Uh, she starts off, we women start off as these young uh energetic girls and become vibrant women and enter into all these important relationships such as uh, daughter, uh, spouse. Um, I'm getting hot now. <laughs> I was freezing this morning. Um, and, uh, and then you get older and, and some of that dries up. <laughs> Some of the older women here all understand what I'm talking about. And, and I just, uh, going before God, asking about the value of the woman. And um, God is good. Anyway, I'm just giving you the bits that I have so far, uh, trying to understand it for myself as a woman who stands alone uh, rather than married and, and uh, thinking about this gender and the difference between man and woman. Um, so I'm just going to share where I'm at so far. Uh, this isn't new to you. I just kind of put it together to articulate it for myself, you know, and uh, to hopefully gain insight to the God that we serve. So um, I just want to pray first. Father, I'm thankful for your tenderness your sweetness, for the fact that you know everything and, and you are so patient and kind with our grappling, what we're trying to know about you. And when you say we know in part, Lord God, sometimes it's such a small part and yet, uh, by your grace and your mercy and your Holy Spirit, when sometimes we gain these insights for a moment and are able to hang on to them just even for the twinkling of an eye, Lord, uh, they take our breath away. We thank you for your word that you have chosen to reveal yourself through your word. And... Um, we just uh, ask you to bless the time together right now. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Um, so I'm looking at uh, the Jewish matrimony, uh, the Messiah's relationship to his bride. And basically, uh, what I understand is when a couple enters into marriage, uh, it's the, one of the strongest possible relationships uh, to, that there could be. And God uses this relationship to somehow talk about himself. So there's an incredible importance in it. Um, but there's three basic stages. The Shidduchin, the Kiddushin, uh, which is also known as the Erisin, and the Nisuin. And um, uh, we'll just start off with the Shidduchin. Uh, I, I, the, the PowerPoints are just for me to keep track because otherwise I'd... I think I'd fall down crying or something, you know, out of nervousness. I don't know. Here I am. I teach at CBU, and, you know, I've got classes that are... I'm not trying to tell you all that, but I've got classes that are really large, and, you know, I'm not a bit bothered, right? (laughs) Um, Anyway. Um, The first step in the marriage process is the shudokin, and that's the, that what's called a mutual commitment it's a preliminary arrangement prior to the legal betrothal. And this is where it's common for the father to actually uh, make that arrangement um, with the other, uh, the other father of the family to go over there and make that arrangement for the, for the groom. Uh, he can also hire a marriage broker um, or a, marriage, uh, a matchmaker, a Shad Khan, and uh, if you look at Genesis 24, 1 through 4, it was Abraham who was old in age, and he, his uh, servant, it would have been the, the Shad Khan that, that would have gone for him um, to actually make the uh, arrangements between Isaac and Rivka, his, um, his wife-to-be. Uh, in much of the older times, the reason for marriage was a lot that had to do with survival and practicality, and the concept of love was secondary. I know that we've learned this, some of the stuff from uh, Dr. Stokes as well. I was just thinking about uh, God's love and that word chesed that's used. It means affection and loyalty. And um, it is that love that God loves us and always using the marriage as this is how you should love your wife with this kind of love. Um, Companionship, love, and intimacy were part of the marriage. And, uh, uh, you know, these days it seems like the sexual interaction is primary. Uh, It's important, and as I was looking through this, it actually is counted as part of the of the marriage between uh, a groom and his bride. It's not absent at all, so it's an important part of it. But it's only a part. And and sometimes, in I think in our culture, especially when I'm working with couples, uh, it seems they sometimes they come in for the primary purpose that the sexual interaction is not primary. I think. Uh, I was also thinking about uh, the scripture that says it's not good for man to be alone. I will, I will make a helpmate for him. He didn't say I will make a sex mate for him, right? So, just that's the Anya thought, talk there. Um, 
So the next one is the bride's uh, price and consent. Um, part of, uh, in order to acquire a bride, there were three things that had to be in place, money and uh, a contract and sexual intercourse. Um, the money could be an object of value also. Uh, but there were three things. And, and the acquiring is not that she is to be bought like a piece of property, but that she is valued. Um, and uh, that is such a sweet thing when you think about all the application. Anyway, um, the, uh, the young man might find a woman that he'd be interested in, and then he'd go to his father and say, you know, I want that good-looking girl over there. <laughs> Can we do something about it, right? Not quite that way, all right? <laughs> um, but uh, the father could also uh, see a, a, a prospective bride for his son as well. Um, what they would do then is request some kind of a meeting with that family, and uh, a ketuba would be written. Ketuba, the, the root of it is kav taf bait, and it is in, it's something in writing. Really important for a woman at the time, uh, because it was all she had when she got the ketuba, the rabbi would say, take care of this, don't lose it because you've got nothing if you don't have that. There was no proof of what he had promised to her. And um, it was the groom who wrote the ketubah, right? So the ketubah would be to get the negotiation started, uh, take it to her house and present the contract. Uh, incidentally, I, I'm learning this, so if there's any part of it that's wrong, you just bring it up with Bruce and he'll fix it, right? Um, uh, the next uh, uh, part would be the mohar, and that is the bride price. Um, and, and it was considered at that time that marriage is not an agreement between two individuals. It was a marriage between two families. And I'm thinking about all the application again, uh, but it heightens uh, the commitment because there's not just two people involved in the marriage, Right when they're committing to each other. So the mohar was a gift paid by the groom to the bride's family. And if you look at Genesis 24, 52 through 53, there's a reference to that. Abraham's servant, the oldest servant of his household, uh, went to try and find this wife. The servant brought out jewelry of silver, of gold, of clothing, and gave them to Rivka, for, to Rebecca. He gave Precious things to her brother and her fa and her mother as well. So that was the mohar that was present right there. And uh, then the other thing, uh, again, even if uh, lest someone thinks that the and again, it's me trying to understand the woman's role here. Um, she did have the right to consent, so she did, she didn't she she didn't have to go along with it. Um, and that's evident in Rebecca's response, well, the servant's concern about Rivka's response. Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me. If she wasn't, she wouldn't have been forced to. Again, some lovely application there. Um, let's see where I'm at with that one. Uh, as far as the preparation for betrothal, when there's, when there's, there, there's some overlap in, in all of this, 
there is a thing called a mikvah. And at one point, I thought only the woman was immersed, uh, but it's actually both. They both separate to be immersed into uh, a mikvah, and uh, that was to indicate some uh, rite or ritual of spiritual cleansing as they were preparing for the betrothal. Uh, the bride is called the kala. We are God's kala, his beloved. That's the word for beloved. And think about the scripture, I am my beloved's. And the Khatan is the Lord God, the heavenly Khatan. Yeah? So uh, then the next little part is the Arusin. Uh, it's also spelled E-R-Y-U-S-I-N. And uh, that and the Kiddushin. Uh, and I tried to look up some of these words for the pronunciation. Some of them I got and then others I couldn't find. So I might be wrong. Um, but the Arusin and the Kiddushin are somewhat overlapping in this betrothal period. Um, the the Arusin was, uh, it's where the cup of wine was was uh, um, sipped. So the the betrothed, the, the Shatan would pour the wine and then he, because he was satisfied with the contract, after they'd created whatever they'd agreed on, if he was satisfied, he'd pour the wine and drink from it. And you could just imagine that he was nervous as he handed that cup over to this lady. And, um, I mean, without a word, he was saying, I'm satisfied with the contract. And uh, with bated breath, I'm sure, waiting for this woman to partake of the wine. And as she sipped it, that meant yes. And right there and then they were as uh, more legally bound than any of our engagement processes. It literally had to, um, you'd have to be divorced at that point. That to this get that we've learned about um, applied at that moment, actually. And uh, when you think about it, um, we're thinking about three things to acquire a wife, uh, something of value, the contract, and then the consummation part. So we're still only at the contract, but that, but legally bound like that, even at that point. Um, and then uh, the word matan is uh, the pledge. Um, so, you know, after that, he would, uh, the, the groom uh, would go away to prepare a place for his kala, his bride. Uh, but he'd have to look at her very intently in her eyes and give her a pledge that he was going to come back. Um, and he'd give her something of value. So that, of course, at this point would probably be the engagement ring. Um, but um, the matan means the pledge to return. That, that was the pledge uh, that he was making. Um, and uh, the cup of wine. Um, and then you can, even as I'm talking, you can think about all the application and just share that at the end. Uh, the Kiddushin, then, uh, is the betrothal period. Uh, so when the man would go away, he'd go away to make this chamber or this hidar, uh, looking intently at his wife, giving her a gift, a matan, a pledge of his love, and a promise to return. And he said, I'm going to go away now and make this place for you, that I'm going to get you and we're going to be together. 
um, and that would be the construction of a chamber. And I, what I understand is over in Egypt and Middle uh, Eastern uh, homes, you will. It, it's very of, uh, very common to see a home with parts of it that look somewhat undone, where I think they're called rebars sticking up out of out of parts of the property because it's the um, it's the chamber that's going to be made, right, for the bride. And and the son and the father are in on this, you know. So um, uh, he went off to do the dwelling, to, to try and make this dwelling place. And the piece that I got that was just great, I'll share it with you in a moment. Anyway, um, in, in the meantime, the bride is now consecrated. She's set apart. Uh, but the the interesting thing is that um, she sipped the wine, she's consecrated while waiting, she's accepted the gift and the contract. Uh, the third part, that consummation, is to be held off. It's the only piece that waits until they actually get the actual uh, uh, chamber, the, the house that, that is being made. So she's waiting her wedding day with her groom, but it's in her father's home. Yet she is to assume the identity of the family that she has been married into in her father's home. So she's actually freed up to a certain extent as far as uh, the father's identity in that whole family and, um, and uh, to assume the identity of the, the, the husband that she has now bet- been betrothed to, contracted with, promised and uh, the interesting thing here is only a get could nullify that contract at this point, and it could only be initiated by the husband. The wife could not initiate a get. And again, I'm just looking at the role of the wife, and it's almost, it almost feels like unfair, but the illustration in this is just fantastic. Because if it was up to me, I might divorce God, you know. I might leave him and forsake him, you know. The, 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 the woman, the bride side of the contract, anyway. So, uh, she's to get her oil lamps ready, her bags packed, her holy garments ready to move. And the only thing I could draw analogies there and think about for some, most everybody here has had a baby and I think that uh, you have to pack the bags and leave them ready, you know, at a moment's notice. And I, I was even thinking, you know, I, I think I might do that someday. <laughs> Try and get a bag out and put things in it that uh, I would take with me at a moment's notice and leave it in the hallway, like this this suitcase in the hallway. Um, you know, to be living that way, that he's going to come at any minute. Uh, So she knew about when to expect him, but she didn't know for certain the exact time. And I'm thinking about, uh, we're uh, we're given signs to look for, but I was thinking about the marriage between the the groom and the bride, and she had to have interaction with him and be told how much is being done, you know, and that he was kind of keeping her abreast of everything. I've painted now, honey. I've put the carpet in now. I've got the bedroom ready now, you know. And maybe one day he came and said, well, the only thing we have to do now is the uh, 
the faucet in the in the in the bathroom, right? So that that had to give her some idea that he was ready to come. So uh, it it's not that we we don't know. We we should know that his coming is imminent. The other thing, though, that I I learned is. Um, there's uh, there's a there's a Jewish uh, the, in the Jewish culture and custom. Um, even though the son was involved in making that chamber with the dad, it was only the dad who could say it's done, it's ready. You need to go get her. The son wasn't um, permitted to do that. It was only the father, and it was Jesus who said only the father knows. Um, uh, and it, it, it's not. What I learned is it's not a matter of omniscience. Why didn't Jesus know? It's actually expected of him to give that answer because the groom that was out with his buddies hanging around and if they asked him, um, when when are you going to go get your bride, dude? I'm trying to be an American here. Um, you know, he'd say, you know, uh, my dad is the one who does says that, that when I'm ready to do that, right? And... Um, uh, but even though he's part of the project, you know, so why wouldn't he know? He he wouldn't know the exact hour and the exact time that his dad would say, "Son, go, it's time." But um, but he was he was involved in the whole process. So it, 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 it's just um, I wrote it down. It's a, a historical grammatical method. Uh, of when you're reading uh, the word, that you read it through the culture of the time. And uh, when Jesus was saying that, he was saying that because of the culture of the time. He wasn't saying, that's something I don't know. He was saying it because it's expected of the groom to give that response. You know, Uh, I just thought, that was fantastic because it just put some pieces together that sometimes we grapple with when we're reading uh, the word. Um, uh, let's see if there's anything else there. Um, so accepting the identity of the other family, that's where the veil came in because she, when she'd go out of the home, if she had a veil on, it would indicate to others that she was spoken for, that this contract was... Um, in place, and uh, it couldn't be, um, she couldn't be had by anybody else. So the price and the contract, and now uh, the consummation could not be had, that third part, until the Nisuin is complete. Um, John 14.3 is talking about him going to prepare a place and I will come back. That is the promise that he will come back. The day before that marriage, the bride and the groom would fast. The final step of that word nisuin is uh, the from a Greek from the um, basic word naso to lift up. Uh, it's to take, to lift up, or to elevate, and um, uh, if the father said, "Son, it's ready." It's ready today. You need to go. Uh, he would be ready to just jump at that like a white on rye. Is that is that right? Is that the right terminology? I don't know what. Really quickly, anyway. Um, a lot of noise would be made. 
the bridegroom's party would know. He'd, he'd inform them. And the best man of the bridegroom would go ahead of him, uh, racing, making noise. The bridegroom cometh. And um, followed by the shofar, a loud, long blast. And the lady, the lady of the house would hear that. Uh, and uh, it, they made it loud enough and noisy enough so that she'd hear it from a far distance enough that it would be enough time to trim the lamps, to pick up the bags and say, I'm ready, I'm ready to get out of here. And um, uh, then uh, he would come in, he would charge in there and take her away, lift her up and take her away. And they would uh, again be under the chupa. Uh, they were under it for the the, the promise um, of the marriage, and then under it again for the uh, consummation of the marriage. And again, uh, love that God loves wine. There's another glass of wine, <laughs> and two blessings. Um, and uh, there's a, a custom in from the Jewish perspective where the bride circles the groom three or seven times. And there's something in that to be understood that she's actually uh, marking her property, her owning it. And um, so the Kiddushin is complete at that point when the wine is drunk and, now, and the, ketu- the ketubah is read aloud. And then it, there's uh, the consummation. Uh, uh, the, the, gr- the groom uh, smashes the glass on the ground after the two of them have drunk their second wine, special wine together. And uh, they can, at that point, retire to a private room. Um, and that is where the, the, the third part of the marriage uh, would take place. Uh, I understand now that they just sit back and and catch their breath and relax for a minute, um, and then come out to have a meal with everybody in celebration. And uh, that meal can take up to seven days um, to complete. So uh, the other thing that I looked at is just the application. So, and um, I, uh, this is. Uh, Uh, this is uh, dear to me because I've, I've actually gone after this scripture. Um, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. One of, one of the reasons... Thanks. One of the reasons is I've gone to the Lord saying I don't have a beloved. How, how do I take you on? You know, anyway. And to understand that I am my beloved's. I am his beloved, and he is mine. No, it's not me. It's us. So the Father is selects the bride. So the Father in heaven, our heavenly Shaitan, he has selected us as his bride. Um, he's given us a ketubah, a written contract. Our original ketubah was the five books of the Torah. And now we have a new covenant. He paid a price that no one has ever paid, giving his life. 
um, no one, I lay down my life. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up again. This command I have received from my father, the two of them are working so closely together. Greater love has no man than this to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus did that for us. This was his bride price when he came uh, onto this earth. The bride's dowry is ours. Um, I have, uh, we were bought, 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20. Uh, I think it's on page two. I don't know. Um, you were bought with a price. Uh, and therefore glorify your God in your body in your, and in your spirit, which is God's also. That's, that's the dowry. That's what we bring to the table because the bride had to bring a dowry and the groom brought his price for her. He went to prepare a place for us. In my father's house are many mansions. The thing is, is that I, I know we understand these scriptures, but for me, I didn't know that he was talking about, I wasn't putting it together that when he was immersed uh, in the River Jordan by John the Baptist, that that was the mikvah, right? That when he was saying, I'm going to go prepare a place, that that's the groom preparing a place, that God has chosen us, that he has selected us as the bride. So, all of this stuff is amazing. We are to remain alert, uh, being in a contract. I, I have contracted with you, God, and I'm waiting for you to come. I'm in my betrothal period, in my... Uh, Erison, the Kiddushan period, where I need to remain alert because I'm looking for the third part of the marriage, right? That's the bride's job. And no one knows, like I said, uh, the biblical exegesis is the uh, historical grammatic uh, method. Um, and uh, the son saying, only my dad knows. We're not forced into a relationship, Rivka. Rebecca was asked to agree to marry Isaac. We're asked to uh, to be uh, related to join a covenant relationship with Yeshua, and no one is forced to do that. We're asked if we are willing to follow. And I talked to you about the mikvah. As far as us, we are. Um, I have the Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Um, He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she'd be holy and without blemish. Um, So we are... um, I think I have other things, scriptures there as well, about a mikvah. Um, okay, I'll just stop right there. I can't find it right now. Uh, and then the get. Uh, there's scripture in Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, about the get where the husband... Uh, this, is the, this, is the, this is another thing when you think about it. You could divorce us. You are the husband, and you can divorce us, Lord God. Uh, and, and needless to say that we would deserve it. 
you know, to be put away. But um, Hosea says, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me uh, in righteousness and justice and loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. We cannot get getted. He can't get us. He won't. He's promised that. Uh, Malachi says he hates divorce. And um, I give them eternal life, John 10, 28. They shall never perish, neither shall any one of them be snatched out of my hand. He won't break it. He won't break this 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 covenant, this ketubah that he has made with us. And I'm saying us because the, the end point here is we've been grafted in. Um, and our matan is uh, the Holy Spirit. I will not leave you. So you could imagine him looking into the bride's eyes and saying, here's my pledge, I'm going to come back. And Jesus looked at the disciples at the time and said, I'm not going to leave you. Um, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And he will see, he's my pledge that I'm going to come back again. Um... And then that other one, uh, only the Father knows. I, I, I repeated myself, I'm sorry. The, uh, the sounding of the shofar, um, and he's going to come back for us. So the scriptures there that you know of are in Thessalonians. Let's see where it is. Um, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel. So his best man is whoever that archangel is, right? Coming down and uh, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And uh, he's coming for his bride. He will take us. He will lift, take us, lift us, elevate us. Um, so we're waiting, we're still waiting for that third part, that Nisuin, that wedding feast. Um, and then just to draw your attention to Romans, um, uh, I don't know what the, uh, Romans 11, 11 through 24, but I'm just reading 19. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. And that's reference to the Gentiles and talking about the Jews and are they going to be cut off, but he's going to graft them in again. Um, in Romans 9.25, those who are not my people, I will call my people. Those who, uh, She was not my beloved, I will call her my beloved. Um, what would it be like if we knew this and believed it and it wasn't for us, that it was just for the Jews? What would that be like to just go, oh, my God, I wish that could happen to me, too, like when you see it, you know. But he's done it for us. He's grafted us in. So when the Messiah returns, we will celebrate the marriage supper with him, and our joy, our simcha, will be complete beyond measure. And the last part is we've been grafted in Baruch Hashem. We're still in the Arishan period, uh, the Kiddushan period, and there is also uh, the inference that we should be 
not only trying to get ready, but to see if we can invite people to the wedding feast, you know, because uh, we want to be the virgins who had their oil lamps trimmed and they went and bought oil. And then there was five of them that didn't. And they said, can you give us the oil? And uh, I don't know. I'm just going to put this. This is the Anya piece. It's like, you know, there was really nice boundaries there. Five women looking at the other five and saying, no, I'm, I, I can't do that. I'm ready. This is what I'm up to. I'm going. I'm not going to compromise the idea, the possibility of not having enough to go meet him. This is not okay. Go get your own oil, right? Really nice boundaries there. <laughs> uh, but just trying to uh, encourage people to be ready for that day. That's it. That's all I have.